0: it's a great pleasure to be with you all again. I was here a few weeks ago. Um, and this week I, I also brought my wife with me my wife, Christina is back there with our son Donovan. Um, we thank you. Yes. They deserve a round of hearty applause. Um, normally we would be at Church of the Resurrection on a Sunday morning where I'm part of the clergy team there. If you don't know me, my name is Steve Lake. And, um, but I'm delighted to be here and help, uh, serve uh you all this morning um it's great to be here once upon a time there was a thing called a global pandemic and there was a man there are those who call him jim who found himself in the midst of it jim was leading his rather humdrum life when the pandemic hit but he quickly found himself in what seemed like a rather favorable position despite the raging pandemic around him He could work from home. He got a pandemic pay raise and bonuses to keep him from quitting his job. He got stimulus checks from the government. So flush with new cash and sick of the same old, same old at home, he bought a new 4K TV for those long pandemic nights and then took out a loan and added a new addition to his home. And a few months later, as things opened back up, he put an expensive vacation on his credit card. We earned it he thought after all we've been through he assured himself and his wife Jessica that everything will be fine after all his retirement investment account was growing in leaps and bounds as markets soared flush with stimulus cash and he thought i've got a good paying job we can easily pay off this additional debt or so he thought until one day the pandemic waned life Seemed to return to more or less normal. But Jim's company now faced desperate circumstances. High interest rates and soaring inflation hit the bottom line hard. Jim came to work one Friday morning. Sorry, his boss said. You can go home early and not come back. Initially, Jim was too proud to tell his wife he'd been laid off. And he had not really kept her up to speed on the family finances either. Things were looking a little more grim. So he went away on a weekend getaway with his buddies. He needed some time to think, to process, to decompress. And connect with his friends, especially at a time like this. They went to a buddy's cabin in the woods and right down the road from a newly opened casino. Feeling lucky and a bit touched by the spirit. Jim tapped into the last bit of his family savings to ante up at the blackjack table. A good night or two here, he thought, and a big chunk of those debts will be paid off. Or so he thought. Until he lost, and he lost, and he drank, and he drank. Until on the drive back to the cabin, he saw in his rearview mirror those unmistakable flashing lights. His foolishness and his sins suddenly and not surprisingly caught up with him in a sudden moment in many ways jim is a parable for what israel had become in the time of the prophet zechariah for many folks today maybe for our society in general and for the human condition in israel's day they had foolishly squandered the great provision of the lord in a return to the land from exile and a rebuilding of the temple. They had foolishly and sinfully followed false prophets who told them in essence that the bill would never come due. You could live life as you wished. And they sinfully succumbed to the idolatrous worship of Canaanite gods, which incidentally often featured temple sex, a much more enticing form of worship than of the Lord God Yahweh, no doubt. how many folks and how much of our society, in a way, finds itself in a similar situation where self indulgence has replaced responsibility, where squandered opportunities wasted on comforts, betting that the bill would never come due, having bowed at the idols of material success and pleasure, it's easy to fall into that trap. It's easy. For all of us, indeed, to prioritize the material and the indulgence of ourselves, to deceive ourselves and maybe others around us, at least for a season, that destruction is not around the bend. As you sit here this morning, is there any part of you that looks like Jim? If so, I have some bad news for you. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. For the gems of this world, that's a sad truth. But the prophet Zechariah, and I'm here to join with him in telling you that there is one good step, one surefire bet you can make this day that will inevitably lead you to better times. You can embrace the failure and the pain and confess your sins, and the Lord will forgive. And as our reading from Zechariah tells us, the Lord is all about dealing with people stuck in precisely that kind of trap. In fact, as we open our reading, starting in chapter, chapter 14, verse 1, the children of Israel are, they have been plundered from the invaders, invading countries around them. And they knew not what to do. When would this end? These invaders were sent in judgment for their sin. But the Lord is a God of mercy and forgiveness, and he provides a way of escape for those who truly trust him. We still may face the consequences, the responsibilities for our failure, but the good news in Zechariah 14 is that's not the end of the story. For a season, we may find ourselves amidst the ruin of our own choices, but the Lord God is good. He is faithful and just, not only to forgive your sins, but to deliver those who confess and return to him. In place of a finite human bank account that will inevitably run dry, we have in the Lord Jesus Christ an infinite bank account of hope and God's faithfulness in spite of what we do. Amen. Praise the Lord. I think that's good news. And Zechariah 14 tells us here four ways in which we can draw upon that bank account of hope and faithfulness. Four ways that God himself wants to replace the desperation of our situation with a hope and confidence in him. Way number one, and you know it in our passage, if you're looking at the text there in our In our bulletin, it's punctuated by a series of on that day. Each one kind of marks out another element and another depth to which the Lord's salvation and deliverance will come to those who face potentially desperate situations. Way number one, on that day, you read in verses three through five, the Lord leads his people out. The Lord himself comes in deliverance. You might feel stuck wherever you are, but the Lord knows and he cares and he is coming. What's really striking in this passage is that the Lord doesn't just like send his angels to deliver people, or he doesn't raise up a mighty leader like, say, Moses to help deliver his people out of Israel. Of the prophetic literature in the Old Testament, this one is stunning. The Lord himself comes. At the end of every intervention that the Lord in the Old Testament has on behalf of the children of Israel, which in case you haven't read, it happens a lot. (laughs) The Lord himself comes. In the midst of their unfaithfulness, he is faithful. And he is present. God normally chose key people to do his work, but at the last, he chose himself, his only begotten son. This is the great and glorious mystery of the gospel preached right here in the heart of the prophetic literature of the Old Testament. None other than the Lord God himself can truly save you, even if the consequences you Are languishing in, or what you probably deserve, the Lord Jesus Christ goes before you, sending Himself as your Savior and deliverer. A great example of this in my own life was when I foolishly, as a teenager, one night took the car out for an ill advised drive with some friends of mine, which ended again with the headlights going like this in the rearview mirror and a cop threatening to slap me with not one. Not two, but three tickets for drag racing another car, for running a red light, and for speeding through the town of Wheaton, Illinois. True story. They arrived for us to go to court and um, hear this case, and my dad decided to come with me. Which, you know, yeah, I'm seeing Rick there gulping. That could be a gulp moment. This was the best dad moment you can imagine. Because my dad showed up, and when it was time for me to come and speak to the judge, my dad said, Judge, if you wouldn't mind, I'd, I'd like to say a word or two. And my dad, in effect, took it all on himself. I got court supervision. The tickets eventually went away. But I had come to my dad in my moment of need. I had confessed, Dad, I did it. And my dad showed up like a figure of Jesus in my life to advocate for me. Whatever your circumstance is, that's what the Lord is here to do. He makes a way. And what was amazing in that court experience was just to have the presence of my dad there with me. But he wasn't there to condemn or judge me, but he was there to advocate for me. His presence made all the difference in the world. And so too does the Lord's presence in your life. In the context here, though, of Zechariah 14, what the Lord also does is he says he stands on the Mount of Olives and makes a cleavage in the Mount of Olives to where a valley opens up. And you might say, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, if you know your Jerusalem geography, the Mount of Olives is kind of an impediment to anybody who would escape a plundering, invading army to your east side. Everyone can't get around the Mount of Olives fast enough, quick enough to get out of town. But what Zachariah, the image here is of the Lord's going to come and if if it requires separating the Mount of Olives in two and opening up a flat valley for us to walk through, he's going to do it. Just like, you know, you remember when he separated the seas of the Red Sea and we walked through on dry ground? Remember that? You see, The Lord's testimony of his faithfulness is self-evident because all of his acts for his people are just like that. In our sin, we didn't deserve it, but yet the Lord comes and he dies upon a cross and takes all the sin of the world upon himself. So whatever your situation is, we have got Red Sea uh, cleavage in the Mount of Olives and a cross standing on a hill outside of Jerusalem to tell us that the Lord is about making ways where it seems impossible. Final point to notice in this first one, it's key is we're going a little more depth here. The other ones are quicker, trust me. But notice at the end of this in verse five, he, the Lord himself comes and he's going to lead his people out. He says, for all the holy ones with him, This is key. Don't overlook this part. Because the Lord's salvation is not just free, cheap grace for you. It comes at the cost of true repentance, true amendment of life. In the context of Israel, there were those who had succumbed to the idolatrous worship, to the way of their age. But that remnant, that righteous remnant, if you truly trust and put your faith in the Lord to where you step forward, trusting in Him and obeying Him, the Lord's deliverance is as sure as the day is in the morning. So the message here is clear. Are you one of the holy ones? Have you sought that forgiveness from the Lord for your foolishness or sins or from others who you might have wronged or? who you might have impacted, that's a good practical way to line up and get ready for the deliverance of the Lord on the day of the Lord. Second, on the day of the Lord comes with what is amazing here, a miraculous light. Not just the light of the dawn, but a light that will illuminate the night as well. When the Lord comes, it often comes with miraculous supernatural power even over the forces of nature, where again, things seemed impossible, like red seas in your way, all of a sudden there is a way. And this way that the prophet Zechariah stresses here is a way of light and illumination. Indeed, where the presence of the Lord is, there is light. So if you confess your sins and you are reunited with him His presence, his power will bring you that true light. We in our family had a reminder of that this week when a family member in our extended uh, family had been going through a really difficult time and lacked resources and provision to help care for one of their immediate family members. But we received the wonderful word that this week, the exact amount of money they needed for this person's care came through in an unexpectedly large bonus at work. Praise the Lord. Light in a dark place where it seems hopeless. Mir- miracles sometimes really, truly do happen. But I can tell you, maybe you think, hey, look, I've never had a miracle in my life, and I kind of think that maybe subject to your own interpretation of events. Let me just tell you one miracle that's available to us each and every day. And it's namely the miracle of the illumination of the Holy Spirit. When we turn to the word of God, which the psalmist tells us is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Have you ever had that experience where if you sit with the word of the Lord, with the scripture open, it suddenly illuminates the darkness in your own light? That's a miracle that's waiting for you. Whether you've experienced it or not, you can go back to the Word of God, and you will find light. Or, another way to experience that miraculous light is through prayer. I always pray with my journal open, ready to grab that idea that comes to me because I sometimes get the most amazing illumination in prayer, you know, before it flits away from my ADHD- addled brain. But prayer. Again, another free access point here to the miracle of light. Here's the key takeaway your light might not come in the form of miraculous provision of resources like it did for this family member of mine, but it might come from the inner illumination of the Word of God or through prayer, through listening more deeply to the Lord, to the one who saves in your moment of need. And when you do that, when you by your actions confess hope in God's salvation through his word and through prayer, I can guarantee you the light of his presence and illumination will come as surely as the dawn of the day. There's one more on that day in our passage, on that day number three, and this is really the glorious high point of the entire chapter. It's maybe even the glorious high point of the entire book of Zechariah, as as it turns out. It's the promised coronation of the Lord as King in verses eight and nine. Note here how it's again a messianic promise fulfilled not by some servant of the Lord who is someone else other than the Lord, but the Lord Himself now is king over all the earth. This is coronation that is being foretold at the very end of days but it's a coronation event that happened on another hill outside of jerusalem where the lord jesus wore his kingly crown in terms of a crown of thorns and what's wonderful in this passage is that the coronation of the king right when the king is crowned and seated upon his throne that is the heralding always in political life, as well as in scripture, of the perfect union now of justice and peace come home. Where there was disorder and chaos, there now is justice and the rule of law. Where there was need and and people were homeless and and desperate in their circumstance, there now is peace and true comfort returned to the land. And it's symbolized here in Zechariah's wonderful prophecy as streams of living water that flow from Jerusalem to the east and to the west, feeding continually two great seas, one on, the, on the, the west, the Mediterranean, and the other on the east. You see, this king that we have himself is living water, he himself is true manna come down from heaven, true provision. And so the idea here is is just a spectacular one, that this kingship, which has already initially come in the life, the suffering, the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, is still coming in its fullness. And it is a source of unending provision and comfort symbolized by this living water that never ends. In other words, when you, in the midst of your situation, feel hopeless, do you ever just stop and realize that the king who once came in first century Palestine, he's coming again? Do you hold on to that hope and his ultimate coronation A day when everything truly is going to be set aright. Don't, in the midst of it, get too present-minded on your own circumstance and not see the way that Scripture always, and it has this faithful rhythm. It happens throughout the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New, from the New Testament now into our own day. The dynamic of the now and the not yet. The harbinger of things to come. And it's great. It's great stuff. So whatever your circumstance is, don't be too burdened by it. That you can't just bask in the glow that, Lord, you have done this before. You're going to do it again. Amen? Because that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to be our fate, is to dwell with our King forever. And that brings us to our concluding on that day at the very end in verses Uh, twenty and twenty-one. You may find it a little strange there, where there's talk of pots and cooking vessels, and you're like, "Okay, pots and bowls. I, I don't get it. What do what do kitchen utensils have to do with this?" Right? It doesn't make much sense if you don't understand the context where pots were the most common kind of mundane cooking vessel used to prepare, like the sacrificial meat, for instance, offered um, in sacrifice in the temple. But bowls were sacred implements of worship where you could bring forward sacrifices, lamps, as well as incense and other sacrifices. By the way, he likes lots of it. It would be big bowls of it, by the way, just FYI. But what's interesting, what's going on here in this, in this passage, it says pots will now be used as bowls. Something that's profane, kind of common and ordinary, on that day will be turned into something sacred. You get what the Lord is saying here? The Lord is going to completely restore that which is ordinary, broken, and profane is going to transform it into something wonderful. The situation that Zachariah's people found themselves in was desperate. But even in the midst of that, the Lord's presence is going to provide them ways of transforming desperate things into things why there's something new. I myself went through a few years ago a pretty desperate Time in my life where I found myself unemployed. And I can tell you, some of the ordinary things, like getting up in the morning and praying, going for a walk and exercising, began to transform my life. And even through the hardship, there was some glory that started to flicker into my life as the Lord took things that I'd previously not really noticed or worked on and used them for his glory. In their day, it was so key because their worship had been corrupted by following false teachers into idolatrous worship. Their worship had been rendered ineffectual and phony. It would like come to offer sacrifices to the Lord after first having gone to the Canaanite gods. And if that didn't work, then maybe they would go try the Lord. For these idolatrous faiths, and for us in our broken ways, we sometimes treat worship as merely transactional, as kind of a way of appeasing an angry God or seeking his favor. This passage tells us, live your life on your knees before the Lord. Don't come each Sunday looking for a quick fix. Come here looking truly to meet the Lord in a new way, so that Monday isn't just like Monday. Monday is like Sunday. Tuesday is like Sunday. Every day is like a day spent dwelling with the Lord. And you truly will experience the transformation of the ordinary and mundane things of your life. Of whatever is sinful in you will be made new after the image and glory of the God who comes to save. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.